Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 52. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the must-see movies and guilty pleasures from our pasts. Normally, one of us chooses something that the other person has never seen. Yes. Enforced viewing occurs, <laughs> ensues, plays out. Yes. All of that. However, things are changing. Yes. <laughs> We're all changing. Just like the times. The times, the times are, changing. are changing. We speak to you on a <laughs> sweltering mid-pandemic eve uh, <laughs> from Austin, it's Texas. Like 95. I already said that. It's not that hot. It's hot in the house because we have to turn off the AC yeah. so that we can record without yeah. the blower. <laughs> anyway. Uh, tell me what you told me the other day about uh, oh, okay. the show. Well, so, so the show is having an existential crisis, or the I'm having, having I'm having an existential crisis on behalf of the show. I don't know if that somebody's got to do it. So, what happens? You know, put two people in a house together. No, uh, <laughs> are we going to turn do an episode of the real world? of the real world? Um, so. I didn't go to film school. Uh, I enjoy lots of interesting, arty, indie films that my husband has seen all of them. So there's no, like, interesting, arty films for me to show him. So I was, like, left with the dregs of stuff that I watched when I was, like, 11 years old in the, like, <laughs> late 80s. So we found ourselves the other night watching Overboard from 1987 Goldie with Han. Goldie Hawn and uh, Kurt Russell. Russell. And it's... It's just a dreadful film. It is so bad. And I was like, I didn't know what else to do. I, I just could not bear my name to be associated with talking about this movie. Um, but I was kind of like, what else do I show? I mean, because like, I would like list some interesting film that I'd seen. And he's like, seen it. You know, we watched it in my, you know, modern American cinema class or some. I saw it five times by the time I was 14. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I just, it was too embarrassing for, for like, Ashley's picks are always, like, crappy 80s movies, like. So she feels like uh, <laughs> you guys have a, a, a skewed view of her taste versus my taste when Dude. you have to realize that we have an extraordinary overlap, if you want to look at yeah. it Boolean style, <laughs> between what both of us had already seen and have in common. So when you've got a show where the entire premise is somebody's got to pull something out of the air the other person's never seen that's amazing, there's not as much to work with. Yeah. Yeah, if you've seen them all. So, I mean, like, some of my favorite directors that I would love to do a show about, we just can't do because you've already seen all of the films of um, of Alexander Payne or, you know, all of the pain, all the films of Ang Lee. Like, we went back and forth about whether you'd seen um, <laughs> it's, A Drink Man Woman or, or not, or The Wedding Banquet or said, not. Yes, I've seen one of them or maybe both of them, but I don't know which one. Or I don't know if it's both. So it was really hard. I mean, like, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman is obviously a better film. But um, but I would have done The Wedding Banquet, too. <laughs> but I'm it was hard to tell whether sure you've seen I've them. I've seen and, them yeah. both. I probably dropped out around the Hulk and maybe came back again at some point. <laughs> That's right. Well, the Hulk was interesting. I haven't seen it because I dropped out. Okay. Well, of the, of the, you know, of the dark... 
superhero movies. It, it's it's fine. So because of this, <laughs> you proposed to me yes. a re imagining reimagining yes. of the concept of the show. <laughs> yes. Now we're not going to change the name because someone is still going to shut up and someone is still going to watch something. That's right. However, we're just opening up the rules. Yeah. So there's a lot of films that. I love and that are important to me that I saw with other people and other in other places and times, other times, other times. And there are movies that are meaningful to me that I'd like to watch with Dave, but he saw them in other times and other places already. So now we're at the point where it's like, oh, my God, this movie from 15 years ago that you also saw 15 years ago. You you really need to watch it with me. You need to watch it with me because we need to have this experience together. So let's watch it again now, Mm -hmm. together, Yeah, and then we come and unpack it on the show. But also, (laughs) I want to leave it open. If there's some films that both of us have missed that we need to see... Oh, I forgot that. That I can pick a movie that, like, I haven't seen and you haven't seen, but I heard good things about, you know. Then we can either both be surprised or disappointed. So we watched, uh, we're not going to talk about this right now, but we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire the other day. Very good. Highly recommended. It's not what we're going to talk about right now, though. A little disappointed, but uh, we were going to until I said, well, why aren't we going to do the other one? (laughs) That's right. Okay. So, um, however, I can invoke the rule of, I've seen this, this is amazing, and you still haven't seen it. Yes, because, because I still you haven't ha- went to film school for like eight years so or whatever. Because there's so many things that I've seen. Yes. So many You've things. just seen the original reel-to-reel of, you know, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Free Penny Opera. When Michael or... Gondry was in film school. No, I don't know. <laughs> well, we could talk about his music videos. But there you go. <laughs> I can't name any of them for you, though. You could probably name Alton Brown music videos for me. Just the R.E.M. Okay, so we're six minutes into the show. And uh, this is the preamble wherein we defend our choice of tonight's film, which was... Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, directed by Michael Gondry. Or Michel Gondry. Michel, oh, sorry. Well, because he's French. Well, I guess, but isn't that the English translation? Okay. How do you say Gondry in French? It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's not polite to, to say that. <laughs> in mixed company. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so this came out in 2004, I believe. Yeah. Um, to very high critical acclaim. I know I saw it in the movie theater. It may have been the first weekend it came out because that's the kind of people that I associate with are people who go to uh, indie films on, <laughs> on opening weekend, you know. Although, I think we were still buying tickets at the box office. It wasn't yet to the point where we were oh, buying yeah. online oh, yet. Oh, no. Yeah. That didn't... I don't know. I, would, I didn't start I doing would. that until Austin uh, uh, Alamo Draft House a few years ago. So, I probably saw this at the Westgate Cinema, I would guess. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> so, this came out in 2004. So, yeah. there's no way I saw this when it first came out. Yeah. It came out about a month before my first child was born, okay. before Fiona was born. So, you didn't try to, like, get one more movie in I before that? I don't think we would have seen this yeah. that month. Mm-hmm. So, here's the thing. It's as if 
Clementine has gone in and extracted memories yeah. or, or the comp- Tom Wilkinson's company because I actually don't remember when I first saw this film. Yeah. I can tell you, audience, I can tell you yeah. that I've seen this movie. Yeah. I've seen it at least two times before. Mm. But I can halfway convince myself that I saw it in the theater at some point, yeah. maybe, and I'm like, Regal Westgate, maybe, or the yeah. Gateway, or something yeah. like a, definitely a Regal theater. Yes, but then I'm like, but I don't think that's true. You can earn free popcorn. Because when I looked up that it came out <laughs> like a couple weeks before Fiona was born, I was like, I don't think we went to see that in the movie. This is not no. something I would have been able to convince my ex to go see like very easily, <laughs> especially when she's like eight months pregnant. Eight months pregnant. <laughs> so then I'm thinking that here's the next funny thing. I'm thinking that I might not have seen it until I bought a copy of the DVD on the shelf, which I'm pointing to, and you're about to tell me that it's actually your copy of the DVD. Well, there, who knows? It's It could be mine. It could be yours. I don't know. So we both entered this uh, this arrangement with our own copies of this movie, and at some point we we extracted so, one and sold it off. So interestingly enough, I think this one's probably yours because you probably bought an individual thing. I bought it as part of like buy five blockbuster movies. Did it have like a sticker? Or yeah, something? yeah. No, if no, you no. buy three three new releases or something like that, you know, that it's the ones that they've retired from the shelf after they've been off the yeah. shelf for like three months or whatever back in the DVD rental era, you know. So I just don't know. I don't know if I saw this in the theater. Hmm. I can't bring up any memory because yeah. it, it's been extracted. <laughs> Maybe we need to say something about to remind people what this movie's about or tell you about it if you've never seen it before. Yeah. Don't know anything at all about it except that it's got the longest name ever yes. for a movie on a well, theater marquee. Apparently, um, the Charlie Kaufman, who wrote the screenplay, wanted the original one was going to be 16 words long. So yeah. uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is from a poem by Alexander Pope. Um, and, um, it is the story of a guy who wakes up and can't remember anything and suddenly like decides to skip work and he doesn't know he can't remember. Yeah. He anything. doesn't know. <laughs> he just gets up things for work. Are unusual. His car is wrecked and he doesn't understand why. Well, he except it happened overnight. Yeah. He has a normal morning yeah. where he's grumpy and depressed. Yeah. <laughs> And then he decides to skip work and go take a train out to Montauk. Um, and he doesn't understand why. He's just there. And on the train, he meets this girl with blue hair um, who, like, sort of forces herself into his world. He's kind of completely toned out, introvert, leave me alone. I'm just on a train. I don't know why I'm at the seaside at Montauk. I don't know. On a snowy day. Yeah. <laughs> sketching in his notebook. <laughs> Um, but she kind of introduces herself and forces him to talk to her and, um, and then, you know, we start to get flashbacks. <laughs> um, oh, wait. See, even now, yeah. because this is such a nonlinear movie, it's hard to, it's, you can't really yeah. remember because now our minds have put it in the right order. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Okay, it's the, it's the entire premise of the movie. And I'm sorry, this is 15 years ago. Yeah. So we have to tell you yeah. that, <laughs> that Joel finds out that he dated this girl, girl. Kate Winslet, Clementine, mm-hmm. for about two years. Yeah, they lived together. And then she had, through a strange science fiction-y memory neurological company had all of her memories of him removed yeah. so that she could uh live her life without the pain of, of, of their ever breakup ha- ever or ever having, having known, known him. him yeah well when he finds this out 
he decides to go have the same treatment yeah. and have his memories removed. Everything's great and fine and wonderful until he finds out. <laughs> so, I mean, we learned that this has happened from yeah. that moment when he finds out. And, 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 um, and then a good portion of the film is... Inside his brain, essentially. It's the night of the erasure. It's inside right? his memories, him. There's a particular memory that makes him realize that he doesn't want to lose all the good stuff that happened in their relationship, even if it's painful. And so the rest or a lot of the rest of the movie is him in his brain trying to fight against the treatment that's happening to him. You know, they're actively trying to erase his memories and he's actively trying to hold on to the ones that he or to something of, of his memories of Clementine. So you have this insane surrealistic vision that's a mixture of his actual memories combined with his brain trying to fight the process of erasure with the doors closing and the scene changing and people being whisked here and there and lights going out and all of that craziness. Things like digitally degrading and stuff. At least a third of the movie is the erasure process of, of when he actually had Clementine removed. Yeah. from his brain and how he decides that he doesn't want to he doesn't yeah. want to forget her forever <laughs> yeah and he realizes what's happening and then the the last challenge of the film is well not the last challenge but how to how to well and how he, to fight back from within yeah and and hide his most his best memory in a place where it shouldn't be able to be found by the extraction software yeah yeah, so it's 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 fascinating. I loved this movie from the very beginning. It's so smart. The script is so good. It's funny, it's sad, it's nostalgic. It's like it's wonderful. It's just so good. You know, it's and like it's funny cuz we had a conversation before we watched it where no, I I wanted to talk about that too. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> We had a conversation where I said that I found the ending of the movie to be hopeful because through a set of circumstances, if you haven't seen it, um, Clementine and Joel find out that they had dated previously. They, they find their way back to each other, but they also then they find out that they had dated before. And there's this thing where they talk about where Joel says that, you know, expresses that he wants to try again anyway, you know, despite, you know, what they, they don't remember what happened before, but they know. No, but they have some of the artifacts because they got <laughs> yeah, their files sent their back files to them. Their files sent back to them. So, and this is like the day after they met or yeah, something, yeah, right? Yeah, it's have the this, same day. It's like later the yeah, same day. Yeah, they like after that night they spent. Yeah. And... They see the painful memories and artifacts and the fact that they had each other removed and they know it was just horrible and they suffered and they hurt each other and it was a bad breakup. Yeah. So much so that they wanted to move on without ever knowing the other person. I don't know exactly what Joel says, but he's like, sort of just like, yeah, so let's, let's see what happens, you know, that, that maybe the knowledge, I don't know, to me, it's hopeful in that. Any relationship is a risk, you know, 
anytime there's you get hurt by a breakup, even if it's, you know, usually not with the same person. Sometimes if you're Elizabeth Taylor, I guess. (laughs) But their connection. Yeah, go ahead. Well, their connection, like the good part of their relationship brought them back together, that initial spark, and they got to have that again, you know, and and maybe love is worth the risk of of all the terribleness that could happen maybe that wonderfulness is is worth you know risking the the pain well they also feel that soulmate we were meant to be thing by the very fact that despite all of this and the complete and total erasure they meet each other again and immediately like yeah. fall for each other and have that connection right away yeah and it's going to happen all over again if they let it. If they let it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. You know, the the optimist in me thinks that maybe, you know, knowing that things can end badly, like being on, being on, you know, on the lookout for things that might lead to contempt, as we watched earlier, yeah. you know, um, you know, things that might lead, lead them to not, because like, even as they're breaking up, like, cause there are scenes from the mem- early in the, in the movie of when, you know, those are the first things that get erased were the terrible fights and the, you know, the last big fight they had before they broke up, you know? Um, and, and you get the feeling that it'd been sort of building for a while, but I don't think that any of the arguments they were having were not preventable. It wasn't like incompatibility entirely. It was, you know, you know, little things that happen in a relationship. I don't know. It's the, yeah, it's the things that come up that yeah. you adjust <laughs> to and you, you deal with. Yeah. Right. And they probably would have dealt with them or now they have the opportunity yeah. for the same shit to come up again. Yeah. And then, <laughs> now they just have to try a little. Maybe harder. they can be a little more constructive about dealing with it. You know, maybe he, you know, wouldn't make weird flippant uh, remarks about her ability to be a mother and (laughs) and that, (laughs) which is particularly cruel, I think. (laughs) He says some pretty awful things to her, actually. He says, you really think you could be a mother? Yeah. Or something like that. Well, and then, and then he says something to her, like, you only sleep, or you sleep with people in order to get them to like you or something like that. Well, they're in a full out argument. Yeah, yeah, when he says that, yeah, so... I don't yeah. like to say such things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, A, they're not true. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think it's just like a message of, and I wish I had, you know, you know, I don't know. Every relationship is the same. Every relationship is different. I, I don't... What am I trying to say? I mean, I wrote something very similar to, like, how I feel about this film, about that risk. Mm -hmm. But, like, having just ended a relationship and quickly entering into another one that, like, you really want to do it, but there's a part of you that's, like, so scared, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's just going to end up the same way again, you know. And, and, And that's not... That's not like a judgment on the other person that you're entering a relationship with. It's like an internalized judgment. It's like a self-hatred sort of thing. I don't know. This movie brings out a lot of 
emotions. Like, I'm going to find some way to fuck this up. Or, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Like, or it's you, just my luck because it's just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, like I don't deserve to have a good relationship. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, which, you know, was, I was dealing with a lot of guilt coming out of my last relationship and like finding the courage to enter another one is, is, but, but this movie reminds me of that sort of hope full thing like being fully aware of how how things can go wrong and and still like doing it anyway you know so so i probably haven't seen this movie as many times as you and i think it had been a longer time since i had seen it because i didn't remember that last like what makes the meaning of the film that they find out and decide anyway like for some reason in my memory because yeah. it's been extracted. Yeah. <laughs> I just remembered the idea that they met each other again for the first time. Mm-hmm. And strangely, like over the years or somehow, when I think about this movie, bec- I guess because I wasn't remembering the ending, I yeah. wasn't thinking of it as a hopeful film. Like, yeah. and I don't know, maybe for me, like one of the overwhelming emotions or what stood out for me was how much in pain Joel is, yeah. you know, I don't I'm like, I remember this being a movie, like I would have told you this is a movie about somebody who's really depressed, yeah. you know, and yeah. it didn't feel like a hopeful or optimistic film. And I actually couldn't remember in what ways it's good that we saw it yeah. again, <laughs> because now my whole view of it has changed. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I got it when I saw it before, but what, what the lingering effect of the movie was, this is a movie with great pain about relationships and the ability to hurt each other yeah and um and also i don't know some of their incompatibilities aren't that easy to reconcile and you know that they're going to go through a lot of the same stuff again and they know they're going to go through it again they just don't know what it was we know what it is that's what's so great about both of them is they are never whether it's the beginning of the relationship or the end of the relationship they are never anyone other than themselves you know, Joel is introverted and tends towards depression and, you know, gets kind of drifty and doesn't talk about things. And Clementine is extroverted and out there and exploring the world and throwing throwing her personality at a wall, you know. It's like Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet switched roles. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's usually the manic yeah. pixie weirdo. Yeah. Like, jump, like, bouncing off the walls. And she's, in or her earlier in her career, she's yeah. more of a repressed English, you know, quiet, yeah. introverted type. <laughs> well, I don't know. Marianne is Maybe not so much in yeah. Sense and yeah. Sensibility. <laughs> but, I mean, they're just spectacular in this movie. Yeah. So she, I think, was nominated for several acting awards. Well, she was she's nominated fantastic. for Best Actress, I think. Yeah. So, so good in this role. And, but I mean, like the thing is that she's never anything other than that, you know, she's always that. And it's funny because it's the same thing that sort of drew them together at the beginning are the same things that push them apart. You know, it's the, right. You know, (laughs) which is, she's extroverted and in your face and the one who's, who incites the adventures. Yeah. Right. Let's go do snow angels in the middle or on the ice on the, yeah. on, in the middle of the night. <laughs> Let's break into that uh, cabin on the well, on the beach. And I think that a lot of people like in relationships, like there's you know so much energy at the beginning of a relationship. There's excitement. 
to be together and you're excited to learn about them and learn the things that they like to do and do the exciting things that they like to do, you know? So like in probably in the beginning of the relationship, Joel was a very sort of, you know, more willing to go with the flow where towards the end, he sort of, you know, retired back into his shell again, you know, and then I guess they started blaming each other for her, you know, him for her not exciting him this way that he used, she used to, or well, and him being irritable that she wants to go out and do stuff and yeah. he just wants to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> Never been in that situation before. <laughs> but right? I mean that, I, you know, and some, you know, I know that there are some couples that like they're both like one's introverted and the other extroverted and it works for them, but it doesn't work for all people. And I think it depends a lot on the, on the personality. And oh my God, we should do their Myers Briggs types. Yeah. <laughs> Is he INF? I, he's either J, J or P. Sorry. Yeah. We, we have a, a <laughs> side fascination with Myers Briggs personality types. Well, I love the, the other like thing that I love about the movie is the like argue couple that is David Cross. And I can't remember the actress, the, the blonde yeah, actress. I don't, I don't know her. So his like his good friends that like take him out and make him do stuff. And that's how he met um, Clementine in the first place is at the party on Montauk, which is why they're drawn to Montauk. Um, but they have this like tension filled, like bickery kind of relationship. Um, so from that spawns my favorite line from this film, which is I'm making a birdhouse. And I just, I just though, I love the way that David Cross well, says it. Okay. It's so funny. It's because they're trying to have a conversation. You hear this pounding. <laughs> boom, 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 <laughs> yeah. boom. And she goes, stop it. What the hell are you doing? I'm making a birdhouse. Yeah, it's so good. Sorry. I think we just blew out the microphone on that. Um, it's David Cross. Yeah. You know, we like David Cross. We did our Mr. Show episode. That's a while right. Back. Yeah. Um, I may have mentioned it then. <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong, but does this film splice out or leave out a, most of the, most of the relationship, most of the good stuff of the relationship, right? We see the, we see the first day, the first night where they make the connection. We see that twice, do two different versions of it because they've had two meetings. Yeah. They had two meet cutes. They did. And then we sort of like don't see much in between. We either see the end of the, we see, we kind of go see the very end of the relationship when it's yeah. bad. We don't see a lot of the comfortable middle part. Maybe some glimpses of it. But, I think that but, that's. But the, the thing you were talking about, about like the good part of the relationship, they don't really show that in well, the Well, I think that the first memory that he decides that he, he realizes what's going on and he wants to keep is a memory of them like snuggling under under the covers and saying, and it may have been the last time that they had that type of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And like, he sees that trying slipping away and he figures out what's going on. And he's like, you know, please let me keep this one memory is what he, he exclaims. And then at that point is where he spends the rest of the time trying to find some way to, to hold on to the good, the good part, you know, and it's funny because we don't have any concept of time, like where that falls, you know, it could have been because it's, it's pretty early in the film. So it could have been, and, and I assume they're a race at the beginning, they're racing the memories in most recent to farthest away order. But when they're, we're deep in the extraction scene, we're kind of going backwards to the beginning. Yeah, exactly. So they're getting, the memories are getting better and it's getting closer to when they first met. Yeah. I think. 
Yeah. Although I don't even know if that's a hard and fast rule. No, I think it is. And I mean, and, and I think they're pretty much in order up until the fact that he decides he wants to keep this memory. And then he starts leading her, you know, the version of her that was cuddling with him in bed or, or somewhere thereabouts. He tries to hide her he tries in to hide her. irrelevant yeah. memories. Well, first he tries to hide her in different parts of the memory. Yeah. He's just trying to run away from it. Yeah. But then as he remembers, I think Clementine comes up with the idea that she should, yeah. he should hide her in so, a childhood memory so which are so great her as the as the neighbor coming over to talk to his mom when he's a little child yeah. under the table well <laughs> it's jim carrey in pajamas under the table <laughs> acting like a little child of course and then kate winslet <laughs> as whatever the the, the, the sexy neighbor yeah or something. she's like i love this dress <laughs> um no i love the lines in that you know like joel's like you know He's he's like four years old in this or something like yeah. that, and he like keeps wanting to like his mom to come closer, <laughs> yeah. and she's not paying attention to me. She's not paying attention, and and then like, but he goes back and forth between being like the adult Joel mm-hmm. and then the child Joel that's experiencing this memory, and so he's like, it's so weird the desire for her to pick me up. It's so strong. <laughs> So that was, I also love the scene where the first, they're on the couch together, and that's the memory he's trying to hold on to, and he takes her back into a memory of it raining, a rainy day when mm-hmm. he was a child, Yeah, um, and he's playing with like a neighbor girl or yeah. something like that. Oh, he yeah. makes her, and that's such a beautiful scene. It just like, it starts out, they're just in their living room on the couch, and then the rain starts falling. On the living room couch. And then it, you start to get flashes of the... Of, of the actual the, memory. Yeah. Of him being a child outside in the so rain. So good. Such a great <laughs> transition. <laughs> so we can't, I mean, we have to deal with... Okay, obviously this has an amazing, incredible story and script by Charlie Kaufman, who gave us Being John Malkovich and Adaptation and so many other like completely game changing screenplays that well, like, like rewrote a, the rules yeah. for for indie movies and yeah. well just storytelling. Malkovich, Malkovich. Non linear storytelling, like meta textual weirdness with adaptation. You know, it's yeah. not an adaptation of the book. It's a movie about <laughs> not being able to write the adaptation of the book that Charlie Kaufman is just all of that weirdness. So amazing because it's focused around like the the heart and emotion yeah. uh, that we all understand of this relationship and in this painful place and the need to like hold on to it and and also needing to be out of it like all of those conflicting emotions but then it's directed by Michel Gondry mm. and this is to me the best thing i've ever seen him do because i think, I think so, it, yeah. this movie needs those two collaborators mm. because to visually represent this memory extraction and to like hang it all together you have michel gondry with his magic surrealism yeah well the thing i i just read this um about but very little digital was done it yeah. was pretty much done mostly with practical like, in effects camera. and lights and forced perspective yeah and stuff like that so the joel under the table that was forced perspective yeah um, like those hobbit effects in yeah yeah <laughs> Um, apparently, um, which, and we noticed this while we were watching it, but the way the camera is done, the camera work is done, it was done in a wheelchair as opposed to like steady cam yeah. on a old school French yeah. new wave style. So filmmaking. It, it, it gives it's the wobbly. camera a little more motion, yeah. which I think helps, you know, feel like you're moving and you're with 
you know, it feels a little more it feels real. Spontane- spontaneous and part yeah. of the memory flux. Yeah. Well, and even the scene at the end where the house is washed away by yeah. the ocean, the, yeah. at the house where they originally on the beach, met, talk. apparently they built like a corner of the house mm-hmm. um, out in the surf and then just had it come in and they shot shots of that. So that's pretty amazing. Um, that's a beautiful shot, you know, as his last memories are being washed away. They have a great conversation about, you know, when they first met, she breaks into a house and he feels uncomfortable about, with it. It's just too much for him. So he leaves. Yeah. But they have this great conversation where he says that he regrets leaving. He wished he had stayed. Yeah. And, you know, she says the same. And it's like this sort of nice closure to, you know, the closure to the relationship at the beginning yeah. of the relationship. It's fascinating. A moment I really... Uh, that was really cool for me. I mean, because think of the problem as a director is how do you represent memories being erased while they're happening, while the audience doesn't completely know what's going on and what order things occurred in. So it's all done with parts of the set evaporating or suddenly lights going out. You have one of my favorite ones is the, his memory of like one of the last times they saw each other at the Barnes and Noble where she works. (laughs) And when the, the interchange just goes really badly, I can't remember if she ignores him or, or whatever. It's just like, is a bad, don't come here kind of moment. He walks away and like something weird happens with the perspective of the bookstore. Like it seems to stretch out into infinity. So it's like probably they're doing an effect. That's a dolly with a, a, while cranking the 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 lens yeah, and the, the telephoto focus and then also the lights actually go out too yeah. so you get this kind of like he's being pulled away and well actually it looks like the bookstore like recedes into the background and the lights go out yeah. but i think they just did that live on a stage yeah right they yeah. just that like had the walls <laughs> fall away and the the set you know however yeah. they did that it's not cgi yeah. but it's just spectacular and it, you feel everything that you need to yeah now I want to see exactly how they do that. <laughs> we should look that up. Um, so on top of this, there's another story going on. There's which, a whole other story going on. <laughs> so there's, you know, the the office that deals in... It's Lacuna Incorporated. Lacuna Incorporated yeah, that yeah. Does, uh, does away with memories. So this is their business. They have It's a fascinating business. Actually, this is the idea that started the whole film. Which is yeah. the idea of them sending out these cards to people who are who know the person and saying, you know, so and so has had their memory of Joel Barish ex- extracted, extracted and removed. Please never, please mention- never reference <laughs> that person again. Which is how Joel finds out about yeah. the procedure in the first place. Is that they send a card like that? Clementine to, has had her memory. Which is interesting thing is they didn't send Joel one, or they did see one, but he didn't send him one, but he didn't check his mail or something like that. Maybe. That's the thing. There's a scene in the mailroom. Maybe he does get a card at some point. Why would Joel get a card? Wait, explain to me. Well, if he's being erased, shouldn't he be the one? Shouldn't he receive a card that says? I don't know. I would assume they wouldn't like that would freak out the person who's being erased. That would lead to more problems. Maybe they just tell the person you have no contact with them. We'll make sure nobody else messes it up. Yeah. Because if you tell the tip off the person, he's not supposed to know that she's being erased. Otherwise, well, he would flip out and go contact her and contact the company. Well, that's the thing is you're trying to prevent after the memories have been erased, <clears throat> you don't want the person they were in a relationship with to be like, hey, you know, then it then you end up with like some guy who's like freaking out. I think it's then I, I call it a loose end because yeah. I don't think it would make sense for the business to, to 
tip off the person that's being I'm, erased because they're having it done against their will. I'm curious. I think that there may have been a card that he gets because there's a scene in the mailroom where he's talking to a neighbor. Yeah. Um, who mentions Clementine. Yeah. Oh, but the, it's the neighbor who gets the card because the neighbor hasn't seen the card yeah. yet. So. Yeah, we're seeing the neighbor getting that's the card. Right, okay, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So anyway, there's the whole seen other of the people who are doing the memory erasing so they it's um mark ruffalo and um elijah wood elijah wood and kirsten and they come up and set up their equipment and And they do it in your apartment yeah you take a pill you know yeah (laughs) one thing i love is like this is obviously it's a science fiction concept it's like out of the twilight zone or or (laughs) like the john frankenheimer's movie seconds which i need to show you sometime but it's this weird procedure right Mm. very like we don't have anything like this but the actual office it's kind of like (laughs) it's like a mundane little like uh therapy office or something it's got a floor going to your dentist it's in new jersey get your eyes just somewhere in new jersey office in new jersey it's got the front desk girl who answers the phone and you go back and talk to them i mean it's just like a really routine it's one of those brilliant like take treating something extraordinary as if it's completely ordinary yeah because nowhere they do that every day (laughs) nowhere in this film does anyone ever react to what that's crazy i've never heard of such a thing that's impossible everybody's like like, whatever yeah yeah, of course of course (laughs) course course we can do that yeah um well that's the interesting thing is part of the prep work is they have to gather all the all the memories in their home that remind them of the person and then they take them to the office and they scan their brains while they're looking at the little objects and talking about them. Which is how they create the map. The map, yeah. Of what they need to erase. (laughs) Which doesn't really make any sense, (laughs) but there you go. But Joel kind of like goes off map, you know, so so it it causes some issues with the people who are trying to erase his brain. Meanwhile, Patrick, who's Elijah Wood, decides that he's in love with Clementine and uses gathers all the stuff that she, all the memories that she had of Joel and tries to essentially be Joel, be a new boyfriend for her uh, after she's had her memories yeah, erased, which like is like... creepy espionage yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> to like quote the kinds of things he would quote, say yeah. the kinds of things, do the kinds of things he would do, give her, he gives her an actual gift that, that Joel, that Joel purchased out. to pick out for her. Yeah. Because he has Joel's sack of goodies too. Yeah, right? that's right. So that he's he's able to find out more about her by going through Joel's stuff. It's funny. I love what they're like. Collect everything that has any relevance at all, you, <laughs> no matter what. Maybe it's something that you know the mug that she used to use or whatever. And it's that, and he's like going around the house collecting yeah. up into a big garbage bag. And I remember looking at you and going, "That's actually what you do when you yeah, like, it's true. When you have a really bad breakup, you are supposed to get rid of all of that shit. So um, put it in you the closet don't if you can't <laughs> give it to uh, scientists to uh, uh, extract to extract from your, your brain. brain. Well, uh, and it's. It, they do treat it as a mundane thing. I mean, essentially, they're, <laughs> there's a funny thing that Tom Wilkinson says. Where he plays like, the, the doctor yeah, who the doctor. invented the procedure. Yeah, um, Where Joel is like, is there any bad side effects? And he's like, well, technically, this is brain damage. <laughs> technically, the procedure is brain damage. Well, I think he says, like, <laughs> is there any chance that this could like do lasting harm, like cause brain damage? <laughs> Well, this is doing brain, brain, brain damage. damage. It's pretty but good. But no more than a heavy night of drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I've never been that drunk. Um, <laughs> I don't know how you would be. Um, yeah. But so this, this is 
Well, I was going to just say, but this secondary story of, of, of the technicians doing the procedure helps you to help ground you in the sense that this isn't just like something with no weight that's all playing out internally yeah. because you actually do get to cut out to the, the world, the actual world of them performing the procedure on him and... Well, it's funny because, like, they put it on autopilot, you know, because, like, I guess they figured out. And then they just kind of party. Yeah, they just kind of party. Kristen uh, Kristen Kristen Dunst Dunst comes over um, and they get drunk and get high and, like, are completely ignoring the fact that Joel is actually reacting differently than other patients. His eyes are opening. Um, He's going off map. Um, And then the procedure just kind of breaks. Yeah, yeah. So then they end up having to call the boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the sort of the resolution of the story comes from is the boss, Tom Wilkinson comes and we discover that Kirsten Dunst has, be- has been in love. They, they had an affair previously, Tom Wilkinson and that she has no memory of that. She, that yeah, and her <laughs> memories have been erased. So she, once she discovers that she goes to the office, she gathers all the files up and she sends them back to all the people. And that's how Joel and, uh, Clementine get their files back but I mean like I think it's interesting because she has always been like the the biggest supporter of this whole process and she thinks it's giving That's people's she lives thinks back. Tom Wilkinson's a genius. Yeah and, uh, and all this and then when she discovers that her mind was erased and not just that her mind was erased but like that he compelled her to have her mind erased is what it feels like. And weird that she kept working for him? Yeah, yeah, like... Why Why did they... And that, like, the other technician didn't even know anything about it. He did yeah. this to her, yeah. you know, not, not in the normal way, you know, it was hired anyway. So she decides that, and she's right, that it's not right to, to do this to people, that people can't know what they're agreeing to when they agree to have that procedure yeah. you know it's not something that so it's interesting also medical ethically speaking as well. yes it's also an important film about medical ethics <laughs> it's my favorite relationship slash medical ethic film yes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it also has mark ruffalo in it <laughs> It does have Mark Ruffalo. You told me that this was the movie that made you uh, have a huge crush on Mark yeah, Ruffalo. Yeah, he's and I and I was like, really? Is he in it that much? Yeah, I don't in, remember he's him. He's in a lot more. He was in it a lot more than I remember. Yeah, a lot more rem- than David Cross. I didn't remember <laughs> that there was as, this much of a a story, yeah, a secondary story about the technicians. Well, I think they that <clears throat> that they wanted to focus more on the relationships, and really the core of the story is the relationship. But they, I mean, I guess they did have to have. You don't get into technical details. There's not like there's just sort of a vague description of what's going on with how it works. But it's you know, it's it's all it's, that's necessary. It's just a, frame a little story. bit of mumbo jumbo. Yeah, yeah. just enough. <laughs> Psychobabble. Yeah. Technobabble, I mean. So what made you bust this out the other night and say, damn it, let's watch this? I've been wanting to see it again for a while. Um, I I just, I love it. I, I think it's a fantastic film. I love the way that it's shot. I mean, you know, it's so good at picking up those little details that, like, help make memories... You know, it's like they're not it's not linear. Memories aren't linear. They never are. 
they're like patchwork and they'll be like, you know, one detail that sticks out and sticks with you. That's what I think is so nicely observed. Well, the same thing you're saying, I think, is that they're not monumental memory. I mean, we have the breakup memory, we have the meeting memory, but a lot of the other ones are just moments that are really personal and that... You know, it's something about the way the sun looked on their hair. Yeah. It's something about what it was to hide <laughs> under the sheets or, you know, yeah. it was just a moment, <laughs> like a brilliantly outlined Well, and that's, moment. I think that's especially true of like those childhood memories because there has to be something because childhood all, all sorts of runs together, you know, for most yeah. of us. And the only way to really distinguish it is for like a significant event or a specific smell or a specific sound or a specific experience that sort of sticks with you. And, and, and it's weird cause you don't know quite why certain ones stick with you. You know, they just do it's something about that experiences. I don't know, feed your soul or something. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, you know, for me, the, the, the rain memory in particular is particularly evocative for me. You probably the, have your own evocative Yes. <laughs> I like rain. You know, I like so. other people's rain memories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like scenes of rain in movies. That's right. I do. It's true. Uh, yeah, Kurosawa is one of my favorite yeah, filmmakers. All the, rain, all the All the rain. rain. You haven't seen yeah. Rashomon. Yeah. There's no other re- relevance to this movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you liked the music. You told me you used to have the soundtrack. I, think, I did at some have point. the soundtrack. Yeah, it's got that Beck song. That's really so. It's it's a corgi nice. song with the lyrics are Beck, um, okay. who is, as you know, the voice of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> I like how she said that with the guys. You had to see the like straight dead yeah. man look on her face, and then she immediately started laughing. He he sang uh, "Loser," which is of course the anthem of. Um, of our times, of, your times, of whatever we are, the anthem of whatever the we people are. who are between millennial and oh yes, because we don't know what to call you. Yeah, that's right. The in betweeners, <laughs> the the old millennials, I suppose. Well, another thing I was thinking, I was reading a little bit about the process of Gondry developing this yeah. film, and you know, he had the story idea with his his part his whatever collaborator yeah that that nugget of an idea and they approached um kaufman caught charlie kaufman to to write the screenplay and i'm really glad they did i mean not only because you get the film that we end up having which is so evocative and rich and emotional but it might not have gone that way otherwise it sounds like they were like it might have gone more in a sci-fi thriller kind of vein and yeah that what one of what some of what Kaufman did in developing it was making it much more about the relationship at the heart of it in a way that kind of freaked out the studio execs, I think a little bit. Yeah. They weren't sure what they were getting and that they probably never are sure what they're getting with Charlie Kaufman. And then you had Michelle Gondry as well. They wanted one of those where like Ethan Hawke is running around with a blonde or something like that. Right. You know, Gattaca, is that what that is? Yes, Gattaca. Or the, or there's the one with, um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, where they're trying to... Um, Looper. Yeah, no, not Looper. Oh, okay, uh, I like This Looper. is a different one. No, okay. this is not as good Looper as that. Good. Not as good as Looper. I like Looper a lot. No, this one is like sometime in the future and they have time on a clock or oh, something like that. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. It, it might not even be Joseph Gordon-Levitt now that I think on it, but... <laughs> Somebody of that ilk. Well, I mean, like, I do enjoy a science fiction film that has like a... a 
a thing like that, mm-hmm. like a Logan's Run kind of, you know, when you hit 30, you have to go in the buzzer or whatever. The And I like twisty sci-fi concepts yeah. <laughs> when the twist is good and not just cheesy yeah. and yeah. like attack on. And yeah. it's not in this. In fact, I always, for, I always kind of like, yes, I know the concept is they're able to extract people from your memory, but I never think of it as a sci-fi concept. I'm always like, in my mind, I'm thinking about this. It's a relationship movie. Yeah. It's a love story in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's like uh, Reese's peanut butter cup. It's both. Why not both? Why not both? You got peanut butter. You in got my your romance sci-fi. in my sci-fi. You got your sci-fi in my romance. Okay, that was terrible. It's two, two, two great, two flavors in one. in one. We'll just do all the ad, do you smack ad jiggles. Yeah. 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 Okay. You know <laughs> how many licks to get? No, you, just kidding. no. That's too many. <laughs> It's three if you're an owl. Um, so do you have any uh, other thoughts or observations or, th- or things about this movie? I'm trying to think if I do. I mean, I think I got most of it. I, you know, it's, it's interesting. Joel is such like a specific type of guy that's out there, you know. <laughs> you oh, know? I know Joel. Yeah. I recognize yeah. Joel. <laughs> I have friends who are Joel. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I've only dated people who are similar to Joel. I am in some ways like Joel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. It's... I do... Yeah, I do wonder if if they make it, you know, who... You know, and that's the, the fun question from this, you know, is... Or maybe it's on again, off again. Yeah. You know? But ultimately on again. Well, and and maybe Joel, through this process, learns something about himself and how he needs to change and not cut himself off from the world, you know, yeah. as much as he does, you know. It has this, uh, this, uh, that, that cliche or truism of yeah. the thing that attracts you to someone is, all, is also the thing that that you're missing that, from, from that yourself. That become the problems in the relationship. Yeah. Well, no, I was going to say that often leads to some of the discord in the relationship yeah. are those differences. And then I think this film does that. Yeah. Like she is, well, you said she's the manic pixie dream girl. I mean, kind of well, joking. But and I, I was won. like, but not dream girl. She's kind of like the manic pixie so I in watched, your face nightmare girl. <laughs> I watched an excellent YouTube discussion um, on this, which I mean is like, this is a pretty common discussion with this film is that I think, and actually also the movie 500 days of summer, but this YouTube video yeah, discusses yeah. both of those and how the, the, no, that's got Joseph Gordon. Yeah, that one does <laughs> the female heroines or, or leads in the film are, have some of the characteristics that one might consider to be a manic pixie dream girl, but they're not that. No. I mean, and, and like Clementine actually like comes out and says that, like, I'm not here to save you. I've got my own problems. You know, if you want to go through this with me, then you're going to have to take that along with everything else that comes. And that's with. in the beginning of yeah, the relationship. Yeah, she says it really easily. She's just a She's fucked like, up girl. She's like, this is what you get. <laughs> this is what you get. I'm kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to change your life. And yeah. And I think that hopefully Joel can get to a point where he, she's not an idea. She's, 
she's not something that's there to take him out of himself, but she's a person who deserves to be appreciated in three dimensions or four dimensions or all the dimensions, you know, that. Is this a real problem or is it a failure of, or is it just the way a a male screenwriter is going to write this? No, I don't think it's a problem. I think it's, it's well done. She's, she's, I mean, it's from a, from a male, it's written from a male perspective. It's written from Joel's perspective, but we still, Clementine feels more real than, you know, your typical. Well, because he's so inter- well, oh, then your typical yeah, heroine yeah, in, yeah. This, in one of these movies. Yeah, okay, and I see what you're saying. So, yeah. Oh, she's really well written. Yeah. So well, <laughs> so full of life as played by Kate Winslet. And I'd never seen her in any, and I've never seen her in any role that's this vibrant and, and just complete. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen all of her work, but yeah. she's so good in this. I haven't seen the one where she's like a Nazi who can't read or whatever that is. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I haven't it's seen the that. reader. Oh, it <laughs> sounds like the, the the plot of that just sounds really. Which weird. is now fair game for the yeah, podcast. That's now right. that we can choose to see things. <laughs> Dave, we've never seen the reader. We're gonna. See well, it's reader. so funny because like I've seen her. I mean, I've seen probably most of the films that she's been in over time because I. I mean. At the first, like, big one, I think she was previously in a movie called Kinky Boots before, um, which I haven't seen, but now is a Broadway musical about shoes, I guess, or boots. Haven't seen it. (laughs) I don't know. I'll tell you, the first thing I saw her in was Heavenly Creatures. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That is the first thing I saw. Oh, so good. She was a teenager, pretty much. And we watched that a number of years ago, I think. God, that might be one we need to rewatch. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah. It's a very good film. I haven't film. seen that in a long time. It's, yeah. I, I, I've seen that at least three times. It's fascinating. Um, it's an early uh, Peter Davidson. No, what do I mean? Peter, what's his name? Well, you messed it up in my brain now. Um, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Jackson. Too. Jackson, thank you. Not yes. Peter Davidson. <laughs> no, that's kind of a mashup of Saturday Night Live and Doctor Who. Yes. <laughs> So Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing that I read is that originally um, Charlie Kaufman had written uh, Joel's ex-girlfriend Naomi into the. Oh yeah, we hear her referenced as a name. A who was of played times. by Ellen Pompeo? Apparently, there were scenes shot and everything like that, and then ultimately it was edited out. Yeah. Um, and also uh, Tracy, um, not Tracy Jordan. Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan. That's right. Tracy Jordan is his character on. Did you know that uh, I paid Lacuna to <laughs> to remove uh, actors' names from your brain? That's right. Tonight? Um, he apparently was in it, and I'm I'm actually fascinated to know what that what his scene would would have I been. I hope it was completely strange and bizarre. I yeah. hope basically like <laughs> his character from. Uh, um, 30 rock. Yeah. Like well, I don't a, think that he does anything other than that. I think that's just <laughs> that's, him. That's kind of just, that's what you get. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful movie. If yeah. you haven't seen this ever, well, we've spoiled the whole thing for yeah, you. Yeah, that's um, true. But you should I see mean, it anyway. I mean, you need to know that we're going to talk about anything is fair game once yeah. we start talking about a movie. So time to revisit it. If you, yeah. if it's been a while or if we're making you interested in catching up with it again, it's yeah. so good. And uh, really survives the years and holds up and repeated viewings. Yeah, it's still... And like I see new things in it every time I see it. It still feels modern. It still feels fresh. It's still... It's exploring ideas that are 
interesting and and relevant and yeah it's and i just want to say where's the criterion collection version of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind they did being john malkovich a long time ago but um this needs to this needs to be uh restored and reissued and all that with all the extras and and i'd love to hear more about its making and I kind of wonder the, about from the people who worked on all it. the because it's a focus feature, which was like at the time in the early aughts, like the sort of preeminent indie producing yeah. company. Um, so I can't think of all of them that it was, but I just remember well, that Miramax focus was, was the other big one. Yeah, um, we won't mention that. But now it's like A24 and I kind of wonder <clears throat> what happened to Focus. But then again, Focus did sort of like bigger budget indies. These weren't like smaller This had films. a pretty small budget. $20 million? I don't know. But it made $80 million or something yeah. like that. So that's fairly successful. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All right. I think we're uh, at the end of our rope. No. Yeah. We've hung ourselves. <laughs> We've... Um, the pets are staring at us like they're wondering if we're done. Well, I think we're done. I think we're so, done. So um, thanks for listening to us again. And thanks for continuing to take this journey with us as we change expand format. and change the format a little yeah. bit. I mean, we were <laughs> never going to be d- able to do the same thing forever. I mean, did you guys really want to hear me talk about made to order or whatever? <laughs> I was game. True, I, true I, Beverly I, Hills. I watched Overboard. I'd never seen it. I was like, let's watch Overboard. I love Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. You know. So And then well, you just were like, two days later, I think, you're like, I don't want to do that for the podcast. I just can't we're imagine. We're not putting like, one out this Ashley's week. pick this week is crappy film from 1987, Overboard, with the worst men in the world. And the other crime about Overboard is they did a, re, a, a remake. remake of it. It's gender bent. But they used Anna Ferris instead of Kate Hudson. And if you're going to redo it, you got to use Goldie Hawn's daughter, Kate Hudson. <laughs> what is wrong with them? <laughs> I know, it seems so obvious. I My know, God. it's a missed opportunity. <laughs> Maybe they should also, make a third. Well, the remake. other thing is, is they, they gender bent it and then they made the, the guy that was going to be the, the, uh, the unknowing like slave. They made him like ethnic as well so then it's like all sorts of issues that i mean there's enough men and women issues going on in the original and then you add this like this does not sound like racial element to it it's just not not a good good thing so (laughs) i I wasn't even aware of it so i'm not not meaning i'm not going to rush out but it it seems like if you're going to do a gender bent version of it you should have goldie hawn's daughter play the, I agree. Yeah. Haven't seen her for a while. And do you think, I don't know. I don't think women would just think that it's okay to enslave amnesiacs. Just. I don't really think anybody should. <laughs> Are we talking about Overboard? Have we switched? Are we now no, talking about done. Overboard? Okay. We're done. We're done. It's, it's... We're done. You're done. We're out of here. And um, we'll try and get the next one out in two weeks. We had to take a break yeah. while we had our existential crisis. Yes. And we came back. Yes. With a good conversation. I hope. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.